0: Karima Brown on 702. It's just gone six minutes after uh, nine o'clock. Now, the unemployment stat figures have come out uh, today. And, of course, um, it is unsurprising. Uh, the uh, trends have long been established and these trends are continuing unabated. Um, many are saying uh, that uh, the rich is getting richer and the poor is getting poorer and that unemployment is worsening Poverty is worsening and inequalities are worsening. Um, And of course, uh, the political and economic policy choices we make has a lot to do with whether we can deal with this uh, issue. And as I said, uh, joining me for this debate this evening, I'm joined by Zuelin Zima Vavi of SAFTO. Mr. Vavi, good evening. Welcome to the program.
1: Good evening, Karima, and thank you very much for inviting
0: us. And then I'm also joined by economist Mr. Duma Kubule. Mr. Kubule, thank you so very much for joining us. Welcome to the Karima Brown Show.
2: Thank you for inviting me, Karima.
0: And then BUSA CEO, Ms. Tanya Cohen, thank you very much for joining us uh, in this conversation. Thank you uh, and welcome to the Karima Brown Show. Thanks very much. Now, let me start with you, uh, Ms. Uh, uh, Cohen. The figures are not good. Um, it confirms what a lot of people have been saying. And, of course, um, the quarterly Labour Force survey for the first quarter of 2019 released by Stats A, indicates that the official unemployment rate uh, increased by 0.5% of a percentage point to 27.6% compared to the fourth quarter in 20. 18 uh, the increase in the unemployment rate is a result of a decline of uh, a number of people in employment and an increase, of course, in a number of people who were unemployed between the fourth quarter of 2018 and the first quarter of 2019. Now, the president uh, was essentially elected on a manifesto that said he was going to create an enabling environment that will make South Africa investable uh, and where jobs can be created Can he do this, given the fact that this trend continues unabated? Yeah, so I
3: think that we must look at the first quarter results in the context of what was happening in the economy, because obviously the relationship um, is very clear, is that the, the growth levels in the first quarter were also obviously very weak. And I think taking into account the impact that load shedding had on the economy we knew that that was going to have a negative impact and I think that that certainly has impacted on larger businesses and particularly smaller businesses who really struggle to to manage when load shedding kicks in because they just don't have the ability to to smooth over the areas the times when they they are unable to operate so I think that that the figures are a demonstration essentially of the state of the economy. And clearly there's a lot of work that needs to be done by the new administration if we are going to turn the situation around and create jobs.
0: Now, Mr. Kubule, the last time you and I spoke, we uh, were talking about youth unemployment in particular. We know, of course, youth unemployment sits at double the rate of of, of general unemployment. Um, if we pursue with the same policies... Uh, we're likely to have the same outcomes. Uh, what needs to change policy-wise uh, for South Africa to become a place that can absorb uh, labor that's largely unskilled uh, and, of course, also um, you know, create an investment environment where you cut through red tape, where people are held accountable and where you are actually able to grow uh, confidence in the economy?
2: Karima, i predicted this for a long time, the past two years. I've been saying that the policy path that we are on is going to result in 10 million people unemployed. Mm. And um, so what we're sitting with now is 10 million people unemployed, an unemployment rate for black Africans of 42.5%. The unemployment rate in the Eastern Cape is 48%. Mm. Now, what on earth? We must think of the pain of each of these 10 million people are unemployed. And I don't understand what on earth is going to convince this government to change course. And what I said a couple of years ago, would it be 10 million people or 11 million people or 12 million people that will convince them to, to change course? Now, let me just quickly talk about the immediate past year mm. since we've had the new president. Um, the first two quarters, negative growth. Mm. Then the next two quarters, positive growth. And then this quarter will be negative growth again. So out of the five quarters of this new presidency, we've had three quarters of declining growth and the main reason for that from a policy point of view um, karima is that there's been a collapse in public sector investment between 2015 and 2018 so you're seeing it and it's not it's not a collapse of private sector investment it's a collapse of the government investment mm. by 18 percent. the collapse of state-owned companies has been 26 percent over the past four years and that is brought down the trend growth rate to 1% a year for the past four years. So GDP per capita has declined for every one of the last four years, and the latest economic forecasts show that we're going to have a fifth year of declining GDP per capita. So if this is not a crisis that convinces this government to say something, to change course and do something, I don't know what will. Now the last thing I want to say is that I was looking at the stats for the last time we created 2 million jobs. Mm. So between 2004 and 2008 we created 1.9 million jobs. So that is 400 the growth of the economy was 4.8% a year. We created 450,000 jobs every year. There were jobs in every sector except mining and agriculture during that boom. Now the amazing thing about that that those 2 million jobs it was just enough to absorb the new entrants mm. into the job market, so the unemployment rate came down. But we didn't create more than just the new entrants. So this gives you an idea that the relationship between economic growth and job creation. We need probably six percent uh, and higher um, growth rate to absorb the people who enter the labour market. It's about half a million rand, half a million people every year entering the labour market, and at the same time, um, we need to cut into the the 10 million people are unemployed, so that gives you the scale of the problem mm. that we have to, um, create, pro- we have to do. And the last thing I want to say is that the jobs are lost in construction, in line with this collapsing public sector investment, and also in finance. Now, finance, Karima, never loses jobs, um, no matter how bad the economy is, we've got this thing called financialization, mm. where finance feeds off, um. No matter how bad the economy is, finance grows and grows and grows and builds all these amazing uh, headquarters. And now we're seeing finance losing jobs, 90,000 jobs. So 300,000 jobs lost, it's, it's actually a, a calamity.
0: Uh, Mr. Vavi, your views on the policy uh, choices of the African National Congress is very well known. I want to speak specifically about uh, the issue that uh, Mr. Kubule raised about the fact that there's a collapse in the public sector investment um and of course we know why that is uh, uh in part the case uh you've had the hollowing out of these institutions uh uh to the tune some say of a trillion rand um Uh, during the state capture periods. Now, there's new proposals on the table to change fundamentally how these uh, companies operate. Uh, Many of the trade unions are not happy with uh, these proposals that are on the table. Uh, The proposals have to take into consideration efficacy, uh, productivity, the fourth industrial revolution, uh, security, just in terms of things like energy and so on. Um, what is the trade unions putting on the table policy-wise uh, to boost the public sector uh, economy? What would you like the the government to do differently than what it has done up until now?
1: Well, may I just uh, slightly disagree with your introduction, Karima? Uh, the reason, in our view, and we thank by scientific evidence in this, the reason why there is this free fall of public investment in the economy is how governments have chosen to respond to the 2008 2009 world economic crisis, something actually the biggest. Economic crisis bigger than the 1988 mm. economic crisis. Governments have decided, advised by the IMF, World Bank, and rating agencies, that the only way out of that crisis will be to cut government expenditure, and that cutting of government expenditure across the board mm. has begun to have a profound implications on what government spends per capita on every child at the back of a class uh, desk or at the public hospital or in the safety and security. Even the IEC that were conducting the elections with the problems that we've seen have had a 300,000 rent cut on their, uh, on their budget in comparison to the 2014. Everything is being cut. Mm. That's, not, that's what is driving that uh, investment. And unfortunately, a collapse in the public investment leads to a overall collapse in the investment in the GDP. We were sitting at 16-18% when every economist says we should be hitting 24-25% of investment in the GDP if we are to see anything close to 5-6% of economic growth.
0: But now, Mr. That's Vavi, our, just before you growth. continue, um, if one looks at the performance of public sector uh, workers, right, if we're talking about hospitals, we're talking about prisons, we're talking about frontline uh, services that are being provided, uh, if mm. you look at... Uh, a place like Alice, which I was in a few years ago, um, probably a year or two ago. We went to a hospital there. We were uh, stopped at the gate and the car was searched and we went in. We went to see the person we, we went to see and came out and we were stopped again to see what was in our stuff. Now, a lot of uh, your members are involved in actually theft in those institutions Uh, the kind of corruption you see in the police force, you can't uh, do it without the cooperation of the police itself Uh, the same in prisons um, the same in places like hospitals, if you look at the budget that we spend on education Um, we're simply not getting value for our money. Um, Mm. So even if the government were to spend money in those areas... What is going to raise the level of service that is actually delivered, the quality of service? What is going to curb the corruption? And how is the trade union movement going to come to the party on that? Because we've actually seen uh, the hands of the trade union movement in the kitty uh, in some of these state capture uh, um, uh, uh, uh uh, you know, um, uh, commissions of inquiry, shop stewards having been bought, uh, worker leaders having been bought. So you're not outside of the problem. Um, everybody who's been part of this arrangement has some responsibility on their hands one way or the other.
1: Absolutely, Karima, you spot on. Look, we, we're facing clean problems in the public service. The collapse of that uh, public investment means that government is unable to provide the necessary working tools.
0: Mm.
1: There's not enough uh, uh, money to buy new equipment uh, to make workers even more efficient. That's it's a big problem. So if you listen to uh, the embassy of health, uh, Gwen Over. She makes this point all the time that the levels of investment in the in the in the in the in the, in, uh, in the public health to make the the working environment viable is absolutely critical, and we agree with this. That's the first problem. Linked to that problem is the issue of culture, and I've made this admission in in discussions with everybody over and over. We've got to build a new state
2: mm.
1: and that state must be more efficient and that state must embrace new ethos of service and that uh, but to be, uh, drive during the era of carbon must be given a new meaning management must not be appointed on the basis of who knows who it must be on the basis of the ability to drive higher levels of performance and motivate people. There's a second problem. That's the that's second problem. a lot of people, I think that, uh, nobody make a joke about this, Karima, to say we are the nation of defiers. Mm-hmm. We defy authority. We defy apartheid. We find a way around the Pakistan systems. And defiance is now part of our system. We defy even when we should be cooperating with new leadership to take us into a new way of servicing our people in the police stations, in the, uh, in, in, in the public hospitals, in, in particular in the schools, mm. where this uh, crisis have now developed into an epidemic that sees the government saying that 91% of our schools in the public, in the townships, are dysfunctional. So that second problem requires a new partnership, a revolutionary partnership, and uh, between the leadership of the trade union movement, all of it, not just the general secretary president, but the software, mm. working with management, working with the political leadership to deal and to uproot the culture of uh, of corruption. Mm. And there's, there's far too much corruption. You go to training, uh, uh, testing centers in the traffic department, you are lucky likely, likely not to be asked to pay something. Mm. You go to, uh, to be stopped in the roads, you are lucky not to be asked for a cold drink. You go in the, in the, uh, in, uh, to the queue in the Home Affairs, you are likely not to be asked to, to put in a missing page in your passport. And, and when that thing becomes endemic, in particular, when you don't have a leadership that can inspire confidence and take us into a different direction than in particular what we have seen in the past nine years. Then the country as a whole slowly becomes so embedded in that culture that uh, even if you change a leadership, and that's why I have a huge debate with one of my friends, you don't need one-eighth leader. Mm. You need a totality of a leadership that says we have to take okay. it corrective,
0: Mr. Vave, I want to bring Miss Cohen back in from Busa So we need a change. We need a change of culture. Uh, Mr. Vavie was very frank about uh, his sector and his uh, community. How frank is the business sector about the fact that you can't continue in the same old way? We can't have the kind of executive pay gap that we have uh, between how people work. We can't have the same business models that are based on on super exploitation of workers um, and if they ask for uh, a, a percentage of, of or, an, or an increase then the business actually collapsed because the very model is based on, on on super exploitation. To what extent has South African business taken on board that it too, needs to change the way it functions. Uh, It too needs to look at the economy in a more inclusive way. A a few years ago, Bobby Godsell said, we need an index to also look at things like job creation and rate company success on that. And, And not many Uh, 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 CEOs of companies were interested in that because they were only interested in the bottom line. And if we look at state capture, of course, none of it could have happened if there weren't people in the business community prepared to cooperate uh, with the thieves uh, who happened to be public representatives, Ms. Cohen. Yeah, So I think, first of all,
3: we have to own the role that business has played in corruption in the same way that other stakeholders in the economy have to do so because there have certainly been private sector counterparts in many of the, um, the instances that have been surfaced. But I think that it's far more than just corruption. Mm-hmm. I think if we, we think to the issues that are happening and where our public sector is really so it, it, it's not only corruption, it's also around the way in which our public service is operating. It needs to be refreshed, it needs to become efficient, it needs to become service orientated and it really needs to enhance new technologies and what we're speaking about in the fourth industrial revolution. And I think that's where the private sector really can lend a hand and really can assist. So if we look, for example, in the health sector, which was being described a little bit earlier, is that the private sector is an incredibly competitive sector in South Africa and Africa. We've got world class hospitals, we've got pharmaceutical companies that are innovating and um, producing pharmaceuticals. We've got to find a way that that expertise can be brought into the public sector so that it actually does have an impact in terms of society at large. And I think the issue in terms of to what extent is the private sector Willing to look at things differently, is that we are seeing a huge difference in the way in which um, the sector is is looking at country objectives, because there is a, a huge amount of patriotism in terms of wanting to actually deliver to country needs. I think that there is a very strong recognition that the inequality levels are are not good. Um, from a stability point of view, Mm. never mind from an economic point of view. And I I think that, you know, just one looks at, for example, the agreement on the national minimum wage, it is an indicator that there is an acknowledgement um, that these type of issues have to be addressed. But I think the biggest challenge for the country is that, and the biggest inequality factor is unemployment. Mm. And it brings us straight back to the Court City Labour Force Survey, because... There's nothing that creates more inequality um, in our country than unemployment does, and it hits the hardest with the youth. And, and, and you know, some of the things that we really need to, to, to turn around considerably in that regard are education and our skill system, because that's foundational. That's going to determine whether or not a young person is going to be able to enter the job market and stay in the job market and continue to learn and to and to adapt to changing conditions,
0: mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Kubule let me bring you in here. You were very critical of the policy uh, choices that the government has made, uh, that um, you say is directly responsible for uh, the kind of um, you know implosion we're having in the economy. If one is to look at um, making South Africa an investable place, getting young people into the economy, what is the one policy that you think is an absolute necessity for us to be able to deal with the question of unemployment? Do we start at education? Do we start at um, making it compulsory for Uh, government departments to give young people experience so that they go into the private sector, then they don't have to deal with that. If you had to choose one policy intervention uh, that would have a knock-on effect, that would be able to uh, take us out of the crisis of of youth unemployment in particular, what would it be?
2: Okay, let me just say something. Um, Education and skills, those are medium-term, long-term issues. Mm. They cannot get us out of this hole in the next three months, in the next mm. six months. So what I say is that what can get us out of this in the next three months, in the next six months? So basically, globally, there's only three tools that we can use. The first one is the cost of capital interest rates. That's what happens, the monetary stimulus. The second one is the fiscal stimulus, and the third one is the exchange rate, where mining um, dependent economy and a weaker exchange rate um, can provide alleviation to the struggling mining sector and improve our export performance now if you had to say the one thing that i would do i would get the people who are on the other side of this panel to agree on a fiscal stimulus that of about 500 billion pounds. that's what i think we need to get into this economy and unprep- i think that we can even bypass the public sector and have a public private agency to to identify projects that are going to get this economy going. So Mr. Vavi and Mrs. Cohen, I think we really have to start talking about things that are going to turn around the economy. I'm talking about within the next year or so. Mm. And then the other things, education, skills, structural reforms that people talk about, those are medium to long-term issues that will improve the quality of the growth that emerges from that short-term boost.
0: All right, that is-
2: so, So people misdiagnose that you start with the structural reforms yes. and so forth. But they they improve the quality of the growth mm. that we kickstart in the short term. Yeah.
0: No, absolutely. I, I I couldn't agree with you more, Duma. It has to be a multi-pronged strategy. And um, we can't have uh, just a long view of these matters. We have an immediate crisis on our hands. And we need to begin a real conversation about what, of course, can get us out of the hole that we are in. We've unfortunately run out of time, but this is a conversation that is ongoing. Thank you very much, Duma. My guest, uh, Tanya Cohen from BUSA. She's the CEO, economist Duma Kobule. And of course, the secretary general at SAFTU, Mr. Zima Vavi.